Good morning, friends. Um, as Brian said, um, my name is Carrie, and I get to hang out with the kids around here, which is quite an honor. Um, but I feel exceptionally honored to be before you today because I get to share about something that's really near and dear to my heart, the idea of home. And um, before we do this, I think that I should pray because, you know, nerves are running high. Okay, let's pray together. Um, Lord, I thank you that you, God, um, are our refuge. I thank you that you, Lord, are our protection and comfort and warmth and love, God, that you've created this beautiful model um, of home just in who you are. And I pray, God, today as I speak, God, that my friends would experience just that, um, that they would experience who you are, and God, that you would breathe life into them and into this place. And God, you would use my, your, my words to be yours. God, get me out of your way so that you can speak. I thank you, Jesus, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, like many of you, this idea of home has probably, over the course of your life, taken on different forms. I know for me, I've had seasons where home has been a very warm and comforting and joy-filled place. I have also had seasons in my life where home has been torn apart and broken into. I've had other seasons where I've had a blank slate in front of me to begin to build home up, and also seasons where we've transplanted and uprooted and actually moved home across many, many different states. And through those experiences, I will tell you that God has laid it on my heart how much our home is actually the most powerful and profound tool that we have to build his kingdom. Now, I want to define home a little bit because I know some of you might be like, yeah, I rent a room or like I live in my mom and dad's house, so don't check out on me. Because home, I think, can actually mean the literal four walls that we live in, but I also think that home very much is who we are, our presence in this world. So today, I actually want to invite you into my home, in a sense, because in essence, if I can picture this like I'm standing in my kitchen making tacos and you're on the other side of my kitchen island, I think we'll be just in a better place, or at least I will. Um, my husband and I have been married for 19 years, coming up on 19 years, and we are very, very different human beings. But what I will say is from the first place that we called home, we knew that together one of our greatest passions in life would be creating space to others for others to feel welcomed in. It's a huge part of who we are, and I feel really honored to share with some of that with you today as we talk about building this thing called home. Um, over the course of those 19 years, I think I counted, we've lived in about 10 different homes. And some of them were in Southern California where we started our life together and others have been here in Longmont. Um, but anytime we move into a new place, we've had to begin to shape it, to make it ours. And sometimes we've started with just an apartment where all I could do was put up some cute curtains and hang some artwork on the walls. And other times we've actually, in our home ownership journey, we have um, started out by sometimes from the floorboards up. Well, we started our home ownership journey with very little to our name. So um, Josh and I have become our own versions of Chip and Joanna. Not really. Um, we disagree a lot more. I don't understand how they disagree and they don't fight. I don't get it. I know it's TV. But um, I will say this, that we, 
more Josh, but he's done things like pulling up and laying new flooring. We've gutted bathrooms, tiled showers, laid sod and sprinkler systems. I've painted hundreds of colors on hundreds of different walls and baseboards. And our latest adventure, because you know, 2020 didn't make us crazy enough, we decided it'd be a good idea to gut our entire kitchen and remodel the whole thing. The process in all this DIY is quite daunting, and honestly, I've hit the point of I've told Josh, no more, I'm done. <laughs> but the result has always made a place that we feel like us, a space that represents our hearts, our personalities, and honestly, our deepest hope and desire to create a space for our family and friends to feel like home. And in all the moving and remodeling and inviting people into our various homes, here's the thing I've learned. Home is a very sacred and vulnerable space. It's way more than the walls and the furniture, but it's about what happens among the people that gather inside of it. And you see, being a part of building God's kingdom in your home and in your community is where the good stuff in life lies. It's kind of the coolest thing about how I feel like God designed us as humans much different than his other creation because his other creation just needs shelter. But we as humans, we have this deep, deep longing for this thing called home. And I think what's interesting is that I think that deep longing for home is actually directly related to our longing with wanting to be connected to him. It's, I kind of love that it's, it's when we experience the truest sense of home, when we experience warmth and safety and belonging and love, we actually are experiencing him. And I know that that thought is great, but I also want to acknowledge this. I know that the word home can take on a whole variety of meanings for many of you because we've all walked different roads. And I know for me, there's been moments where home was the exact opposite of warm and safe. It was broken and hurt, and it was an unshaky, a shaky, unsafe ground. So I want to acknowledge that today, but I also want you to know that God, though, has called us into knowing that home can actually represent something so much better. And yet, even though we're all sitting here and we all had very different life experiences, one thing that's been fascinating to me over this last year has been that we all kind of can come together and say this one thing. Home has taken on very new forms for us, right? Every human across the entire world this year has spent more time within the four walls that we call home than they ever have before, right? And in doing so, home has actually taken on a new meaning, and in some ways, our home has been demolished. You see, the home... <laughs> Lines have gotten really blurry in there, right? Like we've become, it's like we office at home, we've been churching at home, we're working out at home, we're doing restaurant at home, we're going to the movies at home, we're doing date night at home, we're doing school at home. It's like all of the things have gotten real meshed up. And our homes, I really believe today, are desperately needing to be reclaimed, to be rebuilt. For some of you this year, your home has been a really lonely, isolated place. There's like this boxing in that's happened, and the four walls have been super suffocating. Like quite literally, they have sucked the life out of how we were created to live. For my single friends, this year has been really, really lonely. 
Home has become a very sad and quiet place, a place that they've been stuck. They've lost companionship at work, face-to-face coffee meetups, and even the ability at one point to walk into this place that felt like home. And my married friends, man, there's been little to no space to breathe. It's been hard. We've seen the same face in the same pair of sweatpants with the same jokes every single moment of the day. And that same pair of sweatpants may or may not have ended up in the same spot right next to the laundry bin every evening. All joking aside, I will say this, marriage is hard. Yet this year, marriage has been really hard. It's been a refining fire in so many ways. We've had to do the hard work of loving selflessly right alongside one another. For others of you, there's been a great collision of work and home. Um, My sister, she is an incredible creative. She is the director of um, design for Hot Topic. And she said to me this last year um, that she was pretty sure that her closest friends had become her UPS driver and FedEx delivery people because they were frequenting her house so much. Because you see, her office and her workspace obviously came into her home like many of you. And they would be dropping off to her bolts of fabric and sample garments and dress for and those boxes, they filled her living room, and then they began to take over her dining room. And you see, her dining room became where she would create, and where there was lace and denim and velvet strung alongside her two double-screen computers. And her art and her creativity and the dose of stress that comes with work, those deadlines and things, became meshed in a place in her life that represented peace and comfort and rest. You see, the place that she would retreat to at the end of the day to have a meal and take a breath had been taken over. She lost her home like so many of us. And for some of you out there... I see you, because your house has been much different than quiet. It's been very cramped and very full, and our kids have not gone away. (laughs) We've been working and schooling on top of each other, and I'm going to refrain from sharing with you what the Casada house looked like last year, because it was not pretty, and not anything close to what I want home to be like. And it has made me into a parent that I don't want to be. You see, our homes have become the battleground of just getting through this year. And here's my fear. I actually am afraid that I think we've become actually kind of comfortable in that new form of home. We've been comfortable in the lonely, in the mundane, and in the mess. But friends, I want to challenge you today that I think it's time for us to reclaim and rebuild our homes. And to do that, I want to look at a group of individuals that we've gotten to know a lot better in the last few months. Today, I want to turn to a list of names found in the book of Nehemiah. We have spent some time over the last few months looking at the journey of the Israelites coming back to their home land after 70 years of being gone in a foreign place. You see, they had lost their walls of their city, they had lost their temple, and they had lost their homes. And as Aaron had mentioned a few weeks back, I really do think that God's people had even lost their identity in who they were. They'd lost their purpose. You see, Israel was being restored back to the land that once they once called home. 
and they had done the really hard work, the work of building the wall of protection around their city, but you see the work had just begun because the walls had been rebuilt and the gates had been put in place. But this is what Nehemiah records next in Nehemiah 7, verse 6 and through, 4 through 6. At that time, the city was large and spacious, but the population was small and none of the houses had been rebuilt. So my God gave me the idea to call together all of the nobles and the leaders of the city, along with ordinary citizens for registration. I had found the genealogical record of those who had first returned to Judah. This is what was written there. Here is the list of the Jewish exiles of the provinces who returned from their captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar had deported them to Babylon, but now they returned to Jerusalem and the other towns in Judah where they originally lived. And I'm going to save you from me reading the long list of names that I would butcher after that. But here's what I wonder. What would the journey home back, back home had been for these people? You see, they were coming back to a place that was home at some point, but now it laid very barren. Were they coming back with eager anticipation, or were they coming back really weary from a long journey of returning? I'm not sure if I'm alone in this, but I stand here today with you pretty weary myself. I've found myself, as people have asked me, how are you doing, Carrie? I find myself coming back to this picture of a puzzle that has been torn apart, and all the pieces, the edges, and the inside pieces are back thrown in the box, and it's all mixed up, and it needs to be sorted out and put back together. And I'll tell you, in light of the ups and downs of this last year, that job feels really, really hard. I read an article this last month from the New York Times and that it says, it talks about the feeling that many of us are experiencing. It's actually what psychologists are saying is the dominant emotion of 2021, languishing, the sense of stagnation and emptiness, somewhat joyless and aimless, muddling through your days, looking at life through a foggy windshield. I'm going to assume that I'm not the only one in this place that's in that state of languishing. I'm sitting with these pieces, a blank slate, really unsure of what this puzzle is even supposed to look like. And is it supposed to look like it did pre-COVID, or am I starting all over with a whole different picture on the box? And I don't know the exact stories of the names represented in Nehemiah's registration list, but I would have to guess that each name listed there represented a felly, fellow weary human, likely pretty shook up too. They had all lost, pulled from their homes decades ago, scattered about, now on a journey back home to rebuild and put the pieces back in place. And at this moment, they're standing there staring at a wide open empty land, and I would imagine that the emotions that they felt were probably multifaceted. They were probably overwhelmed, there was a lot of unknown, there was anticipation, but maybe that barren land also represented hope for them, a newness a wiping away of the old in an empty space ready to be transformed and turned into something new. At the end of Second Chronicles, where we actually find the account of what led up to the exiles leaving Israel, there's something really interesting noted there. This is what it says. It says, the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord. 
You see, the exile had actually allowed a purification to happen for the people and for the land. The land was able to catch up on its Sabbath rest. And in this time away, it was resting, but God did not forget what his covenant was. And he was at work the whole time preparing for this restoration for his people and the land. You see, a new era of hope was being ushered in. The ground was ready for new life. And I know I have been fighting against that new unknown puzzle for months now, languishing and really tired. Yet the Lord, I have felt so many times with his gentle hand on my back is whispering, Gary, it's time to rebuild. Come, I have something new for you. For the Jewish people, this barren land was also God's way of whispering an invitation to them. This land was a reminder of who they were. You see, they were God's covenant people. From the very beginning, on Mount Sinai to the promised land, God had called these people into relationship with him. He had invited them in. Because, you guys, Yahweh is a hospitable God who won from the beginning of everything. He longed to walk with his creation, to live in communion with us. It's actually one of the greatest things of God's character and his story. A God that longs to commune and connect with us, his people. And hospitality, that idea is actually built into our being. We have been created to be invited into God's kingdom. We've been created to be a part of who he is. And you see, that identity, though, doesn't just stop with us. Jesus actually was the one that called us to be hospitable people, to help build his kingdom here on earth. And I really do believe that unlike Ever before in our lives, we have the opportunity to do that kingdom building, to breathe life back into spaces that have been taken from us, to claim back our kitchen tables and this room that at one point laid very empty. I want to look at this idea of rebuilding and call to hospitality from two places today. In our church home right here at Cornerstone and also in your literal homes where you go when you are outside of this place. Because before us lies a similar thing that God's people as they returned from exile. You see they stepped into the city and it was empty and it was in need of being rebuilt into a thriving community. And also there were places laid that they were ready to be able to build walls and houses there, but those houses would need to become homes. And I think that has a lot to do with our place when we step outside these walls, to fill those places back up with life, with belonging, with intentionality, and with deep connection. Well, on this rebuilding journey, I want to start where actually Nehemiah and the builders of the wall started. They started with the gates before they did anything else. It was the front door. It was the invitation. Can you imagine what it must have been like for one of those returning to their homeland and for the first time they walk across the threshold into their home? There was a feeling probably of security, of safety, like a deep breath of relief, knowing that they were now in a place of refuge to step through a door and onto ground where they knew they belonged. What if our front doors, the entry points into our life, into our home, into our church, were exactly that? 
What if our open doors, they were a place where once you crossed over, you know you belong, that you're safe, a place to begin to let your guard down? You see, in the Casada house, there's kind of a rule that the door is just always open. There's no need to knock. You just come on in. And I actually, this week, got to find a doormat that says, literally, come on in on it. And I was so excited. It, like, jumped off the thing. And I was really excited to lay it down at my doorstep. Because, you see, in our house, people that have been there know this. They know you just come in. Don't knock. You don't have to take your shoes off. You don't need to bring anything with you. There's no pretense, and honestly, whatever is in our house is yours. Our mantra, um, because Josh and I both live, have grown up in big families, our mantra is kind of the more the merrier, which honestly means that a lot of times our, revolving, our front door is a revolving door all the time. From um, out-of-town family guests to mus- musician friends from near and far that come to make music in our house, to our young adult friends who, man, we have just grown to love having over Um, to herds and herds of kids that my kids' friends know that uh, sometimes the neighbors get called because we're too loud. And, um, And other friends that know that oftentimes coming into our house means that you're gonna dive into conversation and likely be in our sunroom until 2 a.m., Um, Well, in all of this thinking about what that mantra, the more the merrier, means, um, Josh and I had a really sweet moment this week as we just were talking about it and realizing that the Lord actually showed us how that's exactly the motto for his kingdom. You see, Jesus came with the central purpose of telling all to come in. He, like one person by one person, threw the doors open to God's family. He tore down the concept that that many people had created this concept that in order to be in, you have to be righteous and you have to be holy and you've got to have it all together. You see, he blew that door down because through his teachings and his healings, but more importantly, through literally who he spent his time with, he said, all are welcome. He created safe space for people to be. He was a refuge for those that had no place. You see, Jesus in his later years quite literally didn't even have a home, yet he was the safest, warmest healing place that there ever was. He was home everywhere he went. So what does that look like for us? How do we create a safe place for others to enter in? Well, I'm curious what that looks like for us as a community here at Cornerstone. I will tell you, this year has been really difficult for us to be a church. This place that you're sitting in and the classrooms that the kids are in right now, um, for months and months laid empty. There were just cameras in here, and it was the saddest thing because it was not at all what we intend this place to be. But interesting enough, as we began to turn on the lights and safely open up our doors again, what we're seeing is that Cornerstone isn't the same people anymore. We've grown a lot. And many of you here today, or a lot of you even watching at home, you've stumbled through our front door for the first time in this last year. I really encourage you today to look around, because I guarantee you that there is a new person somewhere in your vicinity And I know some of you have walked into the threshold of our church very weary, carrying around a bag full possibly of rubble of your faith, of questions about who God and Jesus are, or maybe hurt from your relationship with the church in the past, 
I want to say to you very loudly, you are safe. Just come in and be. Let us be a place where the door is wide open, because I know for many of you, myself included, you've found that safety here in this place. And it's the most beautiful gift that I know I've been given. But here's the thing, we need you guys. We have to do that together to create that safe place. So I encourage you to reach out and say hello to one another, and better yet, pull up a chair. Tell your story, be authentic with each other because a lot of us are bruised and broken after this year and I think we just need someone to say hello and check in. And then as far as the rebuilding in your home goes, I think what's interesting is that in the wake of this last season, people are just aching to be invited in and that is nothing fancy. There needs to be nothing polished, nothing perfect about it at all. I actually wonder if one of the purposes of this stripping away this year has been for us to see how badly we just need each other, plain and simple. Almost like we've been given permission to take away the pretense and our pretty masked face and the feeling that we need to have a clean home in order for people to come in. And we've been just given permission to be vulnerable and honest with each other because we've all been in this mess together. Man, what a gift to begin the rebuilding with that kind of door in place, a door that says, I know I'm weary and broken too. So who in your life needs an invitation in? Who needs to be invited over? My friends, I encourage you to fling open your doors and allow others to have a place to be seen and to take their shoes off and rest. Now, I'd be a really bad host if I just like let, had my guests come in and they just stood in the entryway. Um, so what often happens in our house is the migration of the gathering quickly moves itself into what I call the absolute best room in the house, the kitchen. You see, the kitchen is the space where intentionality does its best work. And it's also where I like to say that I do my best work. I absolutely love to cook. I love making delicious meals, and I find really great joy in creating nourishment for others. It's actually where I feel the most alive and connected to God's voice and spirit in this world. And I've come to find that there is something really mighty when I feed people. Not that my meals are anything incredibly profound or life-changing, Brian might say my chili verde has changed his life. I don't know. But anyways, but the power that lies in the care to act on behalf of filling someone up. I'm going to say that again. There is great power that lies in the care to act on behalf of filling someone else up. But you see, I didn't always know how to cook. In my early years, just ask my husband, I was a horrible cook. Oh, it was so bad. I fumbled and I failed and it was not tasty at all. But see, over time, I learned. I learned and I tried again. And you see, what I also, though, have learned in that process is that a delicious, nourishing meal doesn't just come together 
like that. There's intentionality that has to happen in forming and creating them. There is an action, a movement forward that I must make to make that kind of space, to create a place in my kitchen that fills people up. And man, I wish, I wish the meal planning did itself because I hate meal planning. And I wish that the groceries just appeared, but I have to be intentional. I have to do the planning to make this sense of home happen. And you see, Jesus created that same sense of home by being intentional as well. We don't know if he was a very good cook. He did some cool stuff with some bread and fish, but we definitely know that he filled people up as he met with them in homes. He was intentional with what happened when he would enter into someone's home. It was about a personal connection with others. There were times, those were the times that he wasn't speaking to the masses. He wasn't speaking to the crowds. He was just sitting face to face with another human, asking them good questions and then listening and asking more good questions and listening. And every so often, he would throw in a gentle spoken truth. In the, we, in the wake of being told to shelter at home, I kind of feel like what we've done is we've done this island living. Because it's like, I'm going to live here in my home, and you're going to live over there. And it's been good, and it's been what, what our world has needed. But you see, what I'm feeling like is I think we're gotten really comfy in the island living. And as our islands, though, slowly are beginning to drift closer together, and we're coming back even on Sundays here together, what we're realizing is that we have a huge need for those of you to step in and be intentional to make this place feel like home again. You see, there's a reason you have found yourself in this home, and I promise you that it is not simply to sit and be fed. And I know that that is a bold statement, but I say it with this truth in mind. Jesus is calling you into a life of flourishing in his kingdom, but flourishing doesn't just happen. Flourishing, you have to step. You have to be intentional with what God has given you. We have been given so much, but we're being called to give it away. And I undoubtedly think that there are seasons that we are called to sit in a place like this and be a guest and rest. But our best seasons when flourishing happens is we, when we step in and we pick up a pot and we start creating nourishment for others. You see, our longing is that our gatherings both here on Sundays and other times that we meet throughout the week would be a place where God's kingdom is happening. Where just like Jesus, we would be able to create space for relationship and healing. But I need to be honest with you today. Most of our ministries right now are stretched really thin. They aren't set up to have seats ready for more to join. We need your help in this rebuilding to be a part of making this place a safe haven for Boulder. So, a few places on our website that you can actually find needs that we have right now. Um, there is a button on our front page that says volunteer at Cornerstone. And listed there, you're going to find various ways that you can step in. We have a need for greeters, just simply people to say hello as others are coming into the door. I have classrooms full of kids that really need adults to show up and take care of them while mom and dad get to worship. We have an incredible, flourishing, fun middle school group that so many of our kids get to be a part of, and they really need some adults to be there. 
You see, this next generation, man, this year has shown us this. Our kids desperately need us to show up. They're longing to be seen. And they don't care if you're good with kids. Trust me. Just show up. And I get it. I didn't know how to cook, and I didn't know how to teach kids. If you had seen me in my early years, it was a hot mess. Yet what I do know is that God has asked each of us to take an intentional step forward in giving him what he's given to us. And as far as inside your homes go, I really do think that the Lord is calling us to step out, to be intentional and step toward one another. What I've noticed recently is that it's actually in the little things that really matter. It's intentionality because the little things aren't so little right now. Do you guys notice that? The little things are actually huge. My husband um, is a nurse and man, this year, nursing has not been easy. And what he's noticed, though, is that alongside taking care of his patients, he's noticed that many of his coworkers just need them to show up for, and need him to show up for them in just the little things. And the things like checking in to say, hey, how are you doing? And buying small little gifts. My husband bought one of his single mom friends at work a, a heated vest because it's freezing on their floor and he gave it to her and with tears streaming down her face she said no one's ever done something so nice for me and he's like it's a heated vest like but you guys it's the little things right now it's the people in our life they need us to show up in the little things it's the step toward a friend that you haven't talked to or seen in months just to check in. It's a text, and don't take I'm good as the final answer, because let's be honest, none of us are good. It's being vulnerable first so that others have the okay to do the same. It's not waiting until your house is perfectly cleaned or you feel equipped to know how to host well. Just invite people in. It's connecting with maybe one of the young adults and college students that are here, and this is now home, but they're away. Because you know what? What we've observed is, man, they just so badly want to just have a place, and a place to observe how other families do this thing called home. It's inviting your neighbor over for a beer in the front yard. The summertime is the best time to do this. Invite your neighbors over. It's being at an age where all of you, even our middle school and our high schoolers are seeing this as they pour into our little ones. We all have something to give the generation below us. You have experience and you get to give it away. I know this is really cliche to say, but what if each of us stepped toward even just one person this week? Think about the effect we would have. You guys, people are in such desperate need right now that the small things really matter. Be intentional, create space to nourish those around you. Okay, last thing, the table, because what happens in our house is that I make it, you serve it. So people in our house, when they come over for dinner, it's like you make your own ramen or tacos or whatever, and then we're going to head to the table. Because you see, from there, it's where the plates and the bowls, they make their way onto the table, and seats are pulled up, and the good stuff happens. It's laughter, and it's story, and it's questions, and sometimes it's arguments, and it's jokes, and it's talking about our day. And over time, because yes, it takes time to do this, an intimacy grows. 
You see, we all sit down hungry and we begin to savor a meal together and the flavors and the company and the whispers of God and the words that we share, it's so much more than just fueling our body. There is a connection to God and to one another that happens in this sacred place. It's where intimacy lies, where we get to look across the table into the eyes of another traveler on the journey, where we tell the truth about how hard it is and where we make space to listen. You see, it's where the open door and the intentional step forward flourish into sitting in the real nitty gritty of life together. And Jesus, he showed us over and over again how sacred the table is. I mean, the man in the height of his ministry, he didn't even own a table. Yet so many significant moments occurred when he gathered around one with others sharing a meal. He used that sacred gathering place to usher in what the kingdom was like. He ate with shady people, the non-religious folk, the unwanted, the unpopular, and he connected and created deep relationship with those that he wasn't supposed to be eating with. And the other thing that's neat to think about is that Jesus modeled for us what it really meant to truly enjoy the person. Because the person that he was often sitting across from, he knew them. He knew everything about them. Yet he enjoyed them. He slowed down. He truly listened. He lingered. And what we've noticed in our home is oftentimes it's once the food's all gone, And maybe some have wandered off and gone home, but it's the ones that linger, that we linger with, that's where the beauty begins. Because it's this deeper space, this intimacy that grows in that place where we get to cry together, pray together, and really walk together. At Cornerstone, one of our highest values is living life together. We long to be this authentic community that walks together, carries one another's burdens, champions and celebrates the wins. And we have countless ways that this happens in our life groups, in our men's fire groups, women's gatherings, our 1825 group. And some of those ministries right now could really use some of these, some of you individuals to say yes to setting the table. You see, um, as we've grown, we're noticing we need new life groups to begin forming. And today what I want to say to you is many of you actually already do this thing called life at the table together really well, but I think that some of you are needing to being asked to widen your table, to create maybe what you already have and turn it into a life group that others can be invited into. We need leaders right now, leaders that will say yes. We also have some other places Um, Even our momhood, as many of you had seen, there's a whole lot of brand new first-time moms walking around. Us old moms, we got to step up. It's our time to shelter, to shepherd them along the way. And in your homes, I think that this thing called at the table works really easy. Ready? This is what you're going to do. You're going to open up your calendar. And you're going to ask God to bring to mind a person who needs some true community right now. And you're going to invite them over. Or invite them out for coffee or out for a hike in our amazing mountains. There's this Jewish, Jewish saying that it says this. Every table is an altar. That every time we experience food and connection in others that we are experiencing the sacred. That God is as present in your dining room and at your favorite local restaurant as God is present here in this place of worship. 
You see, for the first community of Christians as they figured out this thing called living life like Jesus, it was absolutely marked by this dedication of eating meals together. For them, it was actually daily. And to be connected to that need for each other and that need for food and that need for God. And in to engage the rich, vibrant layers of that experience because Jesus had lived that way. And yes, because they wanted and needed a life like that. So my friends, set the table and invite others to take a seat. Aaron, if you want to come out, that would be awesome. I struggled with putting together this message today because I know that my idea of home isn't going to look the same as yours. Building a home doesn't look the same for all of us. We're very different people, which is kind of a cool thing. And I certainly don't have the how-to on home building. But what I do know is that God pushed me on this stage today to call his people in Boulder County to start rebuilding what he has made us to be. To be people that invite others in. To be intentional with making space and gathering around tables. So this is the point where I stop talking. And I actually want to do something today. I'm going to stretch you a little bit because I'm a kid's pastor and I get to do stuff like this. Underneath your chair, you're going to find a note card. A note card and hopefully a pencil. Um, you might need to like reach around and grab a pencil from nearby. But I, I want you to grab that note card and that pencil. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to start drawing a picture of a home on that note card. It can be a simple square with a rectangle or triangle on top. Nothing fancy. Some of you architects are going to, you know, be all overzealous and draw something really fancy. But what I want you to do is I want you to leave the middle of your drawing empty. And I want to take a few minutes and I just want you to sit quiet for a bit. I want you to look at the barren land that's been left in front of you after this season. And I want you to ask God a few questions. I want you to ask him, what role do I have to play in building your home in the places and people you have placed me with? How do you want me, God, to create home? And then I just want you to listen. And as he speaks, I want you to fill your home, your drawing of home, up with the words that he gives you. I want you to fill that home up with qualities and values, maybe specific gifts or talents that he's given you, what he's asking you to fill that home up with. And maybe it's even specific names of people that he wants you to create home for.
God, that you, you quite literally knit us together to be vessels, to be a place, God, that you, your spirit and your presence can fill us up so that then, God, we can overflow. God, I pray for my friends that are gathered here today, those that are even, even gathered right now at their home. God, I pray that you would speak to them this week, that you would open up their eyes, God, to see where you need home created again in their life. God, I pray you'd give them courage, you'd give them bravery to step out. God, that you, you would walk right alongside them as they create home in their world. God, you are good, and I thank you that you are our home. In your name, amen. Friends, would you stand with me and um, grab the elements for today? Because how better fitting to end a talk about home than to end it with a tradition that Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, you see, he chose to spend that sitting around a table with his closest friends. And that night, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it. And he said this, this is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he lifted it and he gave thanks. And he said, drink of this, all of you, because you see, this is my blood. It's my covenant, my promise that has been poured out for you. <laughs> 